Welcome to Schizophrenic Reads, the podcast. This week, I'm joined by author Emily Maloney, author of Cost of Living, which is an essay collection about her interactions with the healthcare industry and thoughts on healthcare and also thoughts on wanting to die while being surrounded by the healthcare industry. It's a really fun and interesting look at just the creative process that has to do with being disabled and living that kind of life. And I am so grateful to have this conversation with you, Emily. I would love for you to, a lot of the times I ask the authors to like introduce or I kind of introduce them, but I feel like you have such like a, just a different kind of way of becoming an author. And it's so unique because you did not take the uh, go to college for four years and then go straight to MFA. It was a little bit more roundabout with all of like the dozens and dozens of jobs you've had over the years and stuff. So I found that like a really interesting thing. So I'd love for you to just introduce yourself and however you would like to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's funny. I feel like a lot of people in nonfiction MFA programs in particular take a more circuitous route. Although I realized mine was especially circuitous. So there is that. Um, I dropped in and out of college for a long time, and it took me a long time to sort of figure out how to be a person, how to interact in the world, how to buy groceries and take care of myself and be an adult. And a lot of things that seemingly were really easy for my roommates or classmates or friends were not that simple for me. And it took me a long time to sort of figure that out. And while I was figuring that out, I worked a lot of jobs. And so basically, um, cost of living starts with, I attempted suicide when I was 19. I was medicated through by like, I guess, an overzealous psychiatrist for about five years. Yeah. And uh, I took 26 medications while under her care. And it turned out I have a nonverbal learning disability. It's like Mm. a developmental, neurologically based developmental disability that I also had like a vitamin deficiency and a thyroid problem. Like there are are other other factors, like there's a new diagnosis and then you read another 20 pages and it's like, oh, here's another one. Here's another one. Yeah, no, like I always wanted to be a really, I wanted to be a good patient, you know, like I wanted, I don't know, there was that like people pleasing element of my life where I just thought like, I'm going to do a good job. You know, like (laughs) I was like the kid who would like read like 300 books over the summer at like the, you know, through the public library sticker system where you'd like, you know, get like pizza, but we never got the pizza. Um, and because my mother was like uh, a health food oriented person and my parents were sort of like a little hippy dippy. So, you know, like we had, we had sprouts and sort of had a macrobiotic diet for a while, but like, you know, I'd be like, I want to get the pizza, but like, there would be just like all of these books. I'd be like, I want to do a good job. I'm going to do a good job. Or, and I think that translated into my experience seeking medical (laughs) advice. (laughs) You're just trying to get Um, it from anywhere. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to try that validation um, (laughs) as many different places as I can find it. And so that's what I did. Um, I, I, I attempted suicide. I accumulated a shit ton of medical debt. And then I tried to pay off that debt working in the ER and in the pharmaceutical industry. But I've also had jobs like I worked, you know, in a sort of dog grooming capacity, dog washing. And I've worked, you know, in kitchens and I've worked at bakeries and I was hired 
on a factory floor that manufactured shampoo. I don't know. <laughs> I've had a lot of <laughs> the smells there were just it still nauseous. makes me a little nauseated <laughs> to even like if I if I I avoid the shampoo aisle. <laughs> like, you know, that's that's my partner's domain. He can yeah, like, yeah. figure that out for me. But yeah, no, I I really I had a lot of different jobs and you know, it wasn't until sort of more recently that I realized, oh, like actually this could be a book and started to put it together. Yeah. How have you felt? Your book's been out in the world now for about a year or a little bit less? A year and a half. A year and a half. Okay. And it's, the book is for me, like, it's kind of hard to classify. I mean, it's a series of essays, but is this a mental health kind of analysis? Is this a memoir. It's not so much that. Is it a disability book? It's kind of that. It kind of just floats in a lot of different areas where it feels like, because I read a lot of these types of things, like a lot of works in this like genre are pretty cut and dry. Like you kind of know what you're getting into. It's like a person's story of diagnosis and recovery. It's a person's just strict interactions with like a wild healthcare events like in brain on fire or something like that. And you just kind of, you're like, I'm just going to kind of pick and choose little bits of all of that, which I found like really deeply personal in a way that like, it's one of those most like reflective of like my own journey. Like when I got diagnosed, it was like, everything became that. And then like life fell apart later. And then it was like, kind of trying to like rebuild yourself and figure out like, at this point now, I'm like, how do I, how do I tell that story now that it's been so long since just the diagnosis period? And your book does a good job of like taking those years that you were in all of this. I don't want to call it drama to be like to diffuse what it was, but, that. but that's kind of what it was. And it's just like a little story here and then another story. And um, it's a pretty linear book, but it's still kind of it's just all over the place in some way. And that kind of disjointed or disconnected storytelling is like what actually experiencing healthcare in the United States feels like. Thank you. I feel like I'm not really great with structure. And so my editor definitely had a hand in sort of ordering the book. But in terms of like a lot of the sections that took place in the hospital were written at that time. Mm. So whether it was like my own experience or seeing other people working in the ER or in the pharmaceutical industry, whatever place I occupied at the time, I wrote a little bit about that place, mm. um, especially with the ER. Like I would come home and I'd, I'd think, oh my gosh, you know, like I, I had the craziest day. I need to write about it. And so I would write like, I don't know, I'm like sort of an obsessive journaler and needed to document the experiences I was having and everybody's de-identified in a significant way. Um, I went back and, and like made composite patients if I needed to, or like really, you know, changed, you know, age, race, diagnosis, you know, all sorts of things um, to really obscure people's identities. But it was definitely something where I would have the experience and then I needed to write it down. And so a lot of those original scenes sort of take place in the, you know, within like a few hours of the actual <laughs> thing, whatever it is. When you were um, journaling through this or through these like years of 
your interactions with healthcare was the idea of like an eventual book or was this just kind of more of like a personal, just like needing to get your thoughts out of your head kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was always sort of like obsessive and weird. I think that (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the book for me, like I didn't really, I, I, I knew I, I liked writing. It was something that I had gotten positive feedback for in the past. I really wanted to become a scientist, like, or, a, or an engineer. Like I, I, I looked into a lot of different career paths, but, uh, you know, or a medical doctor, honestly, it was, you know, so exciting. Like, I don't know, <laughs> watching ER, like, you know, on the television, like people are, like, I had that same, people. I'm like, Oh my God. Of becoming a doctor back when I was, you know, 12 or 13 watching Nip Tuck. Sure, sure. Not what a 12 year old should be watching. Probably not. Probably not. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I I think like, I just, I don't know. I wanted to be all these people. I I don't, I don't know if I like necessarily had a moment where I wanted to be a writer necessarily. I did apply to an MFA program. I applied to a bunch of MFA programs when I was like 26. Hmm. I didn't know that I was actually going to get into any of these programs because when I was an undergrad, I took classes in the Iowa program, I sort of like snuck into these classes. I petitioned <laughs> to get into these classes. I had no business being in these classes. Like my, my classmates were all like, you know, in their thirties and had like traveled the world. And I was like <laughs> 19 and had not left the Midwest. And so they were all like, you know, writing these like elaborate stories. And I'm like writing about like the Amish auction where like the horses go in Iowa and people are yeah. like, where's this auction? Like, it's so, it seems so like esoteric. And I'm like, it's literally down the street. No, I think of like writing Midwestern stories. Like when someone outside the Midwest reads these stories, they're like, wow, what a little quaint thing. You're like, this is just life. Like, I don't know (laughs) how to tell you, like I had to stop for 20 minutes to let like four horse and buggies pass me. Right, right. It's just like, this is what it is. You know, like if you want to like, you know, you are going to have a meaningful connection with like the lady at Hy-Vee because like, there's no other choice. Like you're just, you're trapped there. Like you just, with social niceties, like there's no way to escape. Um, Oh, and like the most, most popular place to like see anyone in your town is either like the ER or the Walmart. Like that's where most social interactions happen. I lived in Oxford, Iowa for a while, which has a population of 600 people. Oh gosh. And the way to get gossip, there were two bars in town. There was the, the VFW post and there was a place oh, yeah. called the Alibi Club, which was like great name, right? Super great sketch, name for though. a bar. Super <laughs> sketch, super <laughs> sketch. And, you know, if you wanted to get like any information about what was going on, um, because they didn't deliver mail in town, <laughs> everyone had to get their own PO box. So you were assigned a PO box. I was PO box 12. You know, oh, so yeah. like you're assigned a PO box and you have to go in. Colleen, the postmaster <laughs> of Oxford, Iowa, like she knows everything. She knows <laughs> everything and everybody's business. And like, if you want to know about anything that's going on, like she is the the source. There are no other sources. But yeah, or like Walmart or <laughs> or the ER. No, I think I don't know. I just I always wanted to be a writer in some respects, but also I never thought that this would be an appropriate journey. I just didn't understand the math of it either. Like mm-hmm. writers don't make any money. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of anxiety about that, but 
then I got into a bunch of MFA programs and most of them were funded and they were like, Hey, like you could just come to this program. And I was like, cool. I really need health insurance. (laughs) It was free. Like I narrowed it down based on the schools that had a medical school attached. So I knew the health insurance would be really good. So I was Mm. like, I'll just select from this like abbreviated list. Cause there were others, there were other schools that were like, you could come to our school and I'm like, okay, but what's the health insurance like? Because I would really like some free surgery. Like there's a lot of things that like I have been delaying or avoiding about my body for like years. I would like that taken care of. And they were like, like, I guess I'll go to classes, but mostly I'm here. Mostly I'm here for health insurance. Yeah. yeah, Health insurance and like just a regular paycheck for like, you know, a few years, which is huge. Like, I mean, it's not any number that like one can theoretically live on really like like $15,000 or $20,000 a year, which is like a lot in some respects, but also not very much in a lot of other respects. Probably I would make more money if I were working a cashier job or something like that. But yeah, it was great. It was great. I mean, like the the MFA program itself, like, eh, like, you know, whatever. It was fine. taught you some things maybe. I learned some things, but mostly (laughs) I really... I really, really got that health insurance, that was that sweet, sweet health insurance and free surgery and just what, like having a place to live to write for a few years was huge. Yeah. What program did you go to? Um, I went to the University of Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, which has a history of being a nonfiction e program, like a more, and especially I think a lot of folks went there in the past who were reporters um, mm-hmm. or who had, you know, a history as a particular sort of writer. And then I came from the Iowa program where like people would bring in like a pair of shoes to the workshop and they'd be like, this is an essay. And we'd be like, okay. <laughs> so it was like, it, like culturally it was a very large shift because like I had classmates who were like, you know, like I'm doing this internship for Harper's and I wrote 7,000 words this morning. And I'm like, cool. I wrote like 136 words. (laughs) I do think at some point, like the dream of mine with this podcast is get to a point where I can have just a round table discussion for like an hour or two Mm -hmm. of people that went to the Iowa's writer workshop and to just disavow the entire institution. Cause it's just, I I mean, I've read so much (laughs) about it from so many books and it just seems like this is This is Yeah. There's two programs. There's like the Iowa Writers Workshop and then there's the nonfiction writing program, which is Mm -hmm. historically under the wing of the English department and sort of viewed as like a kind of like redheaded stepchild or something like that, (laughs) that it's like it doesn't quite fit with the other people. There was some crossover, but I think the reputation of the Iowa program, people mostly associate with the workshop, which is fair. Um, There's all sorts of weirdness with that. (laughs) you're now a writer your book's been out for a while I like how do you feel about being a writer just because I feel like with your route of going about it but also I think you had a realistic expectation because I I think so many authors still get into writing because they're like this is like the dream calling like I'm going to make my living like (laughs) I I think there's a lot of just unrealistic expectations within writing, you know, oh, like a book yeah. might make $5,000, but be a success in some way. Like it's just a kind of wild gambling game of having a book out there, but yeah. you're now an author and you're working on your next book. According to your Twitter account, you're working on your next book, but you're also doing some pottery. You're also riding horses all the time. Also, it seems like probably watching a fair amount of television. You know, you I just cope with all Absolutely. of it. So do you feel like 
this is this is the real writer's life or you're still like I have no idea what's going on I hate it but like (laughs) (laughs) what else am I supposed to do with my life I don't know like I always say that like if you can do something else like literally anything else you should do that (laughs) people are like anti-book podcast here this is the anti-book podcast if you can like not write your book and 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 like be happy or something like you know or even like slightly depressed but like you know fixed through chemistry that's that's great like no I I feel so similar with the influencer thing I'm working on my my first book now uh, yeah I'm really excited super great but it'll it'll get there and but people are always like, yeah, what are you like? What what's what's next after influencing? I'm like, I don't even know what influencing is right now. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, wh- like what do you do with your day? I'm like, I don't know. Like, right. occasionally I pick up a book and maybe I film a video. I'm like, I don't understand what any of this is. I don't know what success means in this world. Like, there's no. It's all Social arbitrary. Media is real weird. <laughs> yeah. I I just like I don't know. I think if I could, yeah, if I could do anything else. Lately, I've been thinking about becoming a CPA. Like, I feel like I would be good at it. I could take like some accounting classes. I really, I don't know. I'm kind of a personal finance nerd. I feel like I could do this. Like, I could help. You know, writers are like terrible with money. I could be like, don't do that. Do this <laughs> do instead. That. You know, I feel like I could. I could maybe. You know. If the whole writing thing doesn't work out, I think like the thing is with with the writing is like you just have to accept um, the sort of con. And this is probably true with you know like any kind of work that you're doing that's like where you're creating a product and people might like it or they might not. And like the work itself has to be the reward because if mm-hmm. the work isn't the reward, then you're fucked. Because like you have to like be willing to sort of like engage and do the stuff because otherwise like I don't know the the writing finding you know having a good publisher might go away you know your agent may leave you your editor might fire you like I've seen all sorts of crazy stuff happen with some of my friends you know your paperback might get canceled you have no control over any of this Mm -hmm. so I think that's that's like sort of my my advice when people are like you know I want to write and I'm like don't but like <laughs> maybe as a side hobby that you don't put much into you know well just like, well you know or or like commit entirely to yeah, like yeah. all consuming and like frankly debilitating way that's probably like not healthy i do feel bad if you're going to go into the the cpa life and write a book eventually from the cpa you know cpa essay collection you mm-hmm. already use cost of living like i mean you, yeah you, yeah you i'd have to i have to think so of a different easy title there a different book i the 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 title of that book my um my editor at vqr titled the book because okay. he titled the i i was supposed to be working on a piece i was on assignment i'm not an i'm not a reporter people keep like sending me they're like you should report on this thing and i'm like i'm not a reporter but because I am extreme people pleaser. I say, yes, of course, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. So like, I totally screwed up this, uh, this reporting thing where my, my source just disappeared. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I sent my, um, my editor a cost of living, the essay, which came from my MFA thesis. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but would you, would you like this consolation prize? And he said, I think we can do something with it. But at the time, the essay had a title like The Cost of Suffering or something like extremely mm-hmm. dour. 
And so he was, he was the one who just like <laughs> put yeah. a line through it. It's like, like slightly less depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Market. Like how can we, how can we fix this um, in a way that like might make people want to read it? And so that was how cost of living, the essay came around. And then, then, you know, after that was published, um, it made sense to make that the book title as well. That's cool. I, I'm always fascinated by how books get their title because I mean, it does seem like, I think a lot of people, and I definitely have been in this like mode of like, I mostly come up with like a great book title. And then I'm like, now I have to write that book. It's like, I come up with like really good chapter titles Um, and it's like, I'm going to write that. And it's like, I don't, I think I do. And also talking to some of my friends that would like to write a book at some point, like, yeah, those things get changed like all the time. Just like write the words. Like that's actually what matters a whole lot more than a, a great, you know, title or something. Yeah. Although the, I feel like titles get changed all the time, so you can't get too attached to them. But um, I've been lucky enough. I'm trying to, to like convince people to let me keep, like I haven't had any concern that I might not be able to keep my new title, but I'm campaigning hard, mostly in the form <laughs> of having a free Substack with the same title oh, there you as go. my new book. So I'm like... I've always this been is my worried territory. That, yeah, if I go, <laughs> if I go to send in uh, you know, my manuscript to the publisher, and they'll just be like, "Let's call it Schizophrenic Reads." I was like, "No, don't, no, don't, no. don't take the username." Let, no, let me, no, no, it's not going to save be it that. for something else. This is this is rough. Yeah, yeah, no, I think Schizophrenic Reads is perfect for the your username or your identity, but like, and and your and your podcast. But I feel like the book has to have a a, a different title. Yeah, I'm hoping so. So I think there was a part in this book that I I literally think about like very regularly. Um, oh, no, no, no! I, it's in a good <laughs> way because it was the most like there's I I read you know 150 books a year and like for the most part you know like I like reading about climate change and history and so like there's a lot of things that I'm like really incredibly passionate about and love learning about but it doesn't like hit me on like a personal level. However, mm-hmm. in your book, you have this little section where you are listing off the medications that you've been on. And it's just like a little quick hits, like a couple, a couple sentence paragraphs on like each kind of medication. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, this is like, I feel this because there's also a part of me that's like, I have now been in the like being treated for mental illness for so long that I kind of just like forget which ones I have and have not been on. It's like, you just hear, you hear these, you know, drug names all the time. And you're like, yeah, I might've taken that. I don't really know. And your, your little essay on this is like kind of in that mode of just like, here's 35 medications. Let's briefly talk about them. And I was like, yeah, this is what actual like chronic living chronic health living. And like, that's what this is like. This is, that's the real shit right there. Thank you. I actually, my partner, he was the one who was like, you need to, he's like my first editor. We met in Iowa city many, many years ago. He's a poet. Mm. And he was like, you have to, you have to write a, like a chapter. That's just like, you know, just your drugs, yeah. your drugs, <laughs> like all the drugs. Cause like, I think people need to know about that and need to understand and so that was actually, I think, the last section I wrote for the oh, book. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So Did I was you... like, I'm, I figured this out. I can write a book. You know? <laughs> it was like that That's chapter. so funny. Did you write this kind of in a linear or like how it takes place in your life? Or was it just bouncing around from essay to essay? Or kind of how did you approach 
setting this into a book? Yeah. So um, my editor was helpful. It was sold as an essay collection. I revised it into a memoir and then revised it back into an essay collection. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was published. I think that, I don't know, for me, like, I just, I don't know. I think weird, I guess. I think that having that kind of, you know, there were sections that are written at different times. Certainly I don't write in a linear way, but I can like, I can sort of read the book in my head and flip the pages in my head. And so I'll be like, okay, I'm working on this section today, but it may not like, I'm not writing the book in order. If that makes sense. Mm. I'm just writing all the different things around the topic that I feel is appropriate. I like, I both. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I admire and fear the people who write, you know, like put together outlines and write beginning to end. (laughs) I'm like, that's amazing. I have no idea how you do that. And also I'm scared. I currently have a little black notebook with Mm -hmm. my outlines to my book and by outlines, I mean, it's a bunch of nonsense, like just like (laughs) drawings here and there, just like, here's a quick note on like a definition of a word that I, for some reason don't need, like, it's just like, (laughs) and then I have like actual Oh, here's like the actual outline. And then I have like the next page. It's like, do you should not do this outline at all. And it's just like this like constant back and forth. I feel like that's true for a lot of people. I don't know. I Anne Fadiman came to our school when I was in graduate school and she wrote The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down about a Hmong child with uh, epilepsy who's also being treated by like their local priest local like religious practice so there's like the combination of like the religious practice and also uh at times the conflict between the western medicine and like these religious practices that are going on and so she came to our school and she was like she's like well you're either a swamp driver or a diamond polisher like she gave this whole like and her thing was like you're either someone who drafts like really fast like a lot of words to try and sort of like drive your buggy across the swamp so it doesn't sink Mm. or you're a diamond polisher where like the word has to be perfect before you get to the next word. Most people are swamp drivers. Everyone who's a swamp driver wants to be a diamond polisher on some level. And all the diamond polishers want to be <laughs> swamp drivers because they really wish they could like draft faster. And I think I'm a diamond polisher, but like almost all my classmates were swamp drivers. And they would like, they're the people who would like come into workshop and they'd be like, I wrote 7,000 words this morning. And we're like, what? No. I'm like, um, I'm like a good satisfied, like I'll hit, I'll hit like 800 words and I'll be like, that was a lot of work today. Yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> same, same. I just like, I'm like trying to get like a thousand words a day most days right now. Cause I want to get like a sort of a bulk of the manuscript put together for the new book, but it's definitely like, I, I think about that, like sort of different ways of writing and thinking about writing and also how those relate to people's outlines or lack thereof, yeah. you know, because I think that they're, I think they're related. It seems like people who generate a lot of pages also generate a very detailed outline. And I think that's probably true. Like if I were to write, I really want to write like a, a well-researched, thoughtfully reported nonfiction book. Like that would be amazing. Or even just like reporting you know like I want to write like a magazine story but like I'm not like that you know like I'm just like <laughs> chaos you know yeah. like I don't have I, I my brain doesn't work that way and that's fine like I'm, I've come to accept that with time more or less but 
Did you have any essays that didn't make the the book, like that you yes. had kind of included in your idea of what the book would be, and then, you know, found out through probably your editor, I'm assuming, like, yeah, this one's not going to cut it. So I actually cut them myself okay. with that before my editor saw most of them, I would say. And then there were more I wanted to cut. Like, I just wanted the, the <laughs> book to be like, <laughs> ideally, like no more than 28,000 words and stapled. Um <laughs> Uh, that for anyone tell, that doesn't know, that's a that's a quite short book. Yeah, yeah. I I tell people it was it ended up being fifty five thousand words, I think, or fifty six thousand words. But my um, my, like my dream is like to write a zine. You know what I mean? Like I just want. <laughs> You're like, give <laughs> like, me a cool like twelve thousand words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like 10, the- 10 or twelve thousand words, and like some stuff like I cut out of like magazines and stuff, <laughs> and, like pasted it on the cover, and then like photocopied it like that's what I want you know like or a ditto machine like that makes the purple things from like okay. the 70s. like I want I want something that I want to create an artifact you know maybe this is like our counteraction to uh the Amazon publishing maybe, oh, it's, absolutely, just, absolutely. maybe it's just like, like industrial direct. zine publishing yes yes it's like direct to consumer in like <laughs> yeah. the most specific way like I didn't um, order this be like you were on a mailing list you <laughs> still get it <laughs> It doesn't matter. No. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was, I, I think um, I, as far as like essays that didn't make it, I think there's probably another 55,000 words that didn't make it. Mm. So like I have a whole other cost of living that's like sitting on my hard drive and also a bunch of like essay stubs where I thought I was writing about something and then it sort of petered out. I was like, mm, I'll come back to this when I figure out what the fuck I'm writing about, you know? I did this the other day. I, I came up with this like great idea. And for about three days, I was like just writing and writing, writing. Mm-hmm. And then I realized what I had was a almost unreadable 6,000 word poem. And I, not a poet. So I was like, I got to the end of it. And I was like, man, I can't even admit to my partner that this is what I've been spending my time on. Like this is, this is going in the dustbin of my hard drive. Like there's there's no way this should ever see the light of day. And I'm like, this is, um, I feel like an actual writer now. Like this is, this is to me what writing is. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's like, there's a lot of things that never make it out and that's fine. I try to be like better about using my words. I used to be worried when I was younger about like wasting words. Mm. I, I, I firmly believe here's some like example of magical thinking for sure. (laughs) I was like, I firmly believe that I had like a finite number of words and that I like to tell certain stories. And like, that's true, like to an extent, you know, like I'm not going to blow all my good stories, like, you know, at my therapist's office, you know what I mean? Like if I see my therapist and I told my therapist this, they're like, they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm not going to like waste my good material with you. I'm heavily editing our, our uh, therapy session. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I'm not, I, I can't, I can't talk to you about these other things. How have you found just uh, being a writer? Like you're now probably making a good amount of, I know you did the MFA, but you've probably in the last year and a half made quite a few author mutuals or friends and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of adapted to the writing life. Like how has this, how has this been? Uh, Specifically, I think because, you know, we'd let off the conversation with it, but there's so many authors that just like, you know, first book and not that it's that common, but when you think of an author, you're like, they had their first book at like 26. Like they just graduated MFA, their thesis became their book. Mm-hmm. And then they just, they get on to the next one immediately. And it's just like, kind of, it just becomes 
in the essay writing world that just becomes the prototype of like what you're supposed to follow. And you've had, you know, so many jobs and done so many like really unique things that you write about that all like kind of pull themselves into your story. So how has it been, you know, getting to put on the hat of writer, you know, of, of like having your book out in the world and, you know, experiencing that whole, I think, new dynamic to having yeah. all written stuff. It's really hard, I think, because you have to figure out, you become a commodity in a weird way, which mm-hmm. I had not really prepared myself for. So there's that element, like you have to sort of figure out how to package yourself and how to distribute yourself in a sense. Also, like, I don't know, like, I'm not good at being a writer. I feel like I, <laughs> I want to, like, I don't know, like at least twice a week, I'm like, cruising LinkedIn or whatever, (laughs) thinking like, you know, I should apply for this job. Like it would be great. Like surely there's a data analyst position near me, you know? Right. Right. Anything, (laughs) anything at all. Like I, I, I recently got, um, my internet service changed and I spent like all day on the phone with this woman who like was very, we were, we were trying to solve a problem and I got off the phone with her and I thought, I should do that. Like, I would be so good. I love talking on the phone. Like, <laughs> this would be fun. And, and, and my partner, where he's like, no, like, why don't you just go <laughs> work on one of the pieces that's overdue right now? And just also, I think the daydreaming and I'm sure the writer component is part of it. And to like, but to me, like having been disabled and not being like in the primary workforce for a long while, mm-hmm. like that whole, like, when I think about like working, it's not like, I don't think of like, oh yeah, I could go back, you know, I could go back to a library and get my MLS. It's like, no, my first instinct is like, what I could run concession stands at the sports stadium. Like, or I'd be like, mm, I don't know, maybe long haul trucker is the yeah, right idea. Yeah. And then like the next day I'm like, I should just learn computer programming and like go start a startup and just be like a total grifter. And it's like, none of these, they're so completely detached from like what I actually love doing or what I think I'd be good at. And it's just like, eh, it's just the, the daydreaming of work. I think yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think like, it's like the Puritan in all of us. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. There's that like Midwestern sensibility, like, you know, I'm, you know, working hard is what's really valued. So like, which you is, know, I think like a good component of your book is like, not only is it your interactions as a patient in the healthcare system, it's like your interactions as a worker in the healthcare system and like mm-hmm. how you view those things. And I think the the Puritan brainwashing that we've had is just like kind of this inescapable force that we're left with that is like a, a backbone ideology that's like part of your book. And um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I it's. I don't know. I, I just felt it so much while like being a Midwesterner and like having some of these like same thoughts. I am curious <laughs> in the vein of Midwestern writing, do you have other like Midwestern books that like during the writing process or, you know, cause I think like some of your interactions with, or some of the essays kind of are, you know, not primarily about, but they also like get into like small town healthcare. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I have experienced this like thoroughly. Like it's just this weird, it's very different than big city healthcare or big city living. Like it's just, these are unique things. So was there any books that you kind of, you know, outside of your like lived experience, like, was there anything that, I don't know, stuck out to you and as a way to think about these things? 
I mean, maybe, I don't know. I tried not like a lot of the books that I read and reread, I was attracted to a certain kind of voice. And I felt like that voice was similar to my voice in Mm. some respects. And so like, it wasn't necessarily the content of the work that made me think like, oh, this is my book sibling or whatever. It was more like an obsession with the sentence or like a relationship with <laughs> like the, the idea that the sentence is the unit of prose was like really mm-hmm. like that's I live by that I think and so I just want to make good sentences and I feel like there's some books that are like they're not necessarily midwestern like Joan Wickersham's The Suicide Index was a book that really resonated with me and it's it's about her her dad dies by suicide and like her family's like what the fuck just happened? We have no idea. Like we don't understand what happened. Mm. And so she just like goes back and sort of tries to figure out what happened. And the book jumps forward and backward in time Mm. and it's structured as an index. So it's like suicide comma act of, and then there's like (laughs) a chapter (laughs) and it's like, it's brilliant. Like, I feel like I'm like, I can never do this because wow. But the way that she sort of structured the book and the humor and then the the attention to detail and the sentence were all things that like really resonated with me. And I, I kept going back to that book again and again. Yeah. I don't know. There's like, there's a bunch I feel that are like, but also like fiction. I read a lot of fiction mm-hmm. um, because I'm really interested in good sentences. And I feel like nonfiction, there's lots of, there's lots of examples, but like in fiction, it's like, Oh, it's so much more prevalent. There's, there's so many options. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I was really into, I don't even know. Like I'd have to think about it. (laughs) What's even back here. These are, these are, these are, uh, I have like new books behind me. Um, mostly Paul Lissicky, the narrow door really appealed to me because it was like, he has a, there's like a, a way in which he makes sentences. That's just like genuinely devastating, um, about, about his friend who died. But yeah, I don't know. I think like a lot of the books I end up reading or picking up, Lauren Slater's Lying really resonated with me. A lot of the books that I picked up during the process were not necessarily the same subject matter, but. You talk about a little bit about humor in the writing and your book is, I honestly found it quite humorous because I, I shared a TikTok of the the line and I I can't, remember the exact line, but you basically said like, I know trying to kill myself would be so expensive. It was yeah, kind of yeah. the sentiment. Suicide should be cheaper. Yeah, suicide should be cheaper. And I I absolutely love that sentiment. And it does bring up this kind of, I don't know, dark humor that is kind of throughout your entire book. And I'm curious if like writing that humor or like putting that as part of like kind of the forefront towards the attitude that you approach this work with, was it and maybe I'm like guessing wrong, but it could have been a, a point of, I think, catharsis for like a really shitty system that we live in. Or it could have been, I think, just a cynicism driving. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we really have to like understand how bad these things are. And like conveying through humor is probably one of the best approaches for people like understanding how like intricately bad the system is. And so yeah. I'm curious, like, when you came up with these sentences where it was a really kind of like 
a snarky response to capitalism. <laughs> like, was this, I mean, like, I don't know, like uh, kind of what was the mindset of, of writing that type of style? Cause it could have been a much more dry, like analysis of like hit the cost shouldn't be this blah, blah, blah. But you take yeah. it like the personal. I, kind I don't of know. Attitude. There's like, there's a woman in my head and she's not me and she's kind of mean. <laughs> she's like kind of a bitch. And like, she wakes me up in the middle of the night and like, I write and I'm working on the new book. Like right now, I'm just like extremely feral and totally sleep deprived, just like total chaos. But, uh, but yeah, like for a long time, I just thought like I had severe mental illness and now I'm like, no, I think I just, I'm a writer, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) I probably, I probably have a little bit of the other things, but you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm just, I'm doing what I can with the resources I have. I think, yeah, honestly, like the woman in my head, like I just write down what she says and I try not to be like fussy or weird about it. I'm just like making the work. As far as the humor is concerned, I don't think about it. I don't know. It was really important for me to have my editor have a sense of humor and my agent. Like when I, when I first started looking for agents, I spoke with some different people and I made a joke on the phone with my now agent. I, and like just in passing, like in, I didn't realize I was making a joke and he laughed and he's like, you're funny. And I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I thought, okay. But yeah, I think it's, uh, it's important to have people you work with who understand your extremely depraved <laughs> no, I feel like the same way because it's like I've done a good amount of public speaking where I've had to like, you know, tell the story of suicide attempts or like my mm-hmm. hospitalizations of losing my fucking mind. And like there's a lot of moments in those conversations where I'm like, oh, this is gonna be dark. How do I throw in a joke about like just like the moment after I tell someone like here's, here's what happened. And then I'm like, I got to break this up somehow. I got to like, yeah. Yeah. Just like raise the mood a little bit because writing these stories can be like a very, I think there's just a rawness to it. And yeah, it's horrible, but like, that's also the human element of it is like the dark humor. Like that's just like part of living through these things as well. Yeah. I think, I think it's like, it's a coping mechanism, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what my therapist would say. Yeah, it's a yeah, coping yeah. mechanism. Um, I'm like, thanks. Uh, so yeah, I mean like there's the, there's the co- coping mechanism element of it. There's like the trauma element of it. like, you know, like how do you respond to, to like a traumatic event or a traumatic series of events? And like the answer, I think for me anyway, is humor. Because otherwise, it's just like everything's so freaking depressing. Like, yeah. how else are we supposed to manage on this cure planet together in our year of 2023? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> like, um, I did yeah. want to ask, have your editors or your publishing house, uh, have they asked for you to get on TikTok and promote like, because I that's been something that's been like recently coming up in a lot of author circles. So I like follow a bunch of authors on, yeah. on Twitter and stuff. And they're like, basically, it seems like half the conversations now with publishing houses is like, hey, can you make videos about your own book? And, and like every author on Twitter is like, I hate this. Like, this is this is so rough. I think I'd be okay with it. I just can't figure out like what to do. Like yeah. it doesn't, it like as a medium, it doesn't make, 
like I enjoy consuming it, but I don't yeah. understand how to participate necessarily. And that was true, I think, with Twitter as well. Like I originally had a Twitter account back in like 2011, and then I accidentally deleted it when I had like thousands of followers. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, but I, it took me a long time to sort of figure out and use the technology and like decide what made sense and how to engage with people. And I think that with, for me, TikTok is probably going to be the same way. Like I have an account, I watch other people's videos. I just don't understand like my role in all of this quite yet. It's not that I'm like opposed to it. I just don't really know enough about how to make things work. I think my publisher was really supportive of whatever I wanted to do or didn't want to do. In the weeks prior to my book launch, I got COVID and then had recovered from COVID, like took me like a month and then had, uh, I had like an IVF procedure and then required emergency surgery, like the Friday before my book launch, cause like oh. things did not go well. And like, they were just like, you just do whatever you need to do. <laughs> You're like maybe yeah. I'm not doing like a multi-state book tour right now. Well, <laughs> I you know like a lot everything was sort of virtual anyway. Mm. There was like a I don't know, you know it was fine. Um, so I didn't really like have to worry about that as much. I think that definitely there are people who have you know experiences that are very different from mine. But like I think they had very modest expectations for like my book, and I'm like. I just expect nothing to happen. And whenever anything good happens, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm this so excited. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was something where I like, I was necessarily pressured. They, they asked me if I wanted to do an Instagram thing where I could like record videos and then put that on their Instagram or take over their Instagram. Oh yeah. 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 And I was like, sure. But then I got COVID and I slept like 18 hours a day for like three weeks. <laughs> so like, I don't know. I kind of got out of it in a sense. I'm curious if you have any uh, fun stories of running across your book in the wild. It could be at like a bookstore or on someone's TikTok video or, you know, just like you're just scrolling somewhere and you're like, hey, I, that's mine. Like, what is what is happening? Have you ended up on any weird list that you want to? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Um, I, I delighted when I saw you had picked up my book because I was I was just like oh my god I kind of like <laughs> had like a little fangirl moment there the other thing that had happened because like I have a small book with a small expected like audience and like like the idea was I think like my my editor you know he's he's moved on to a different imprint now or to a different publisher rather but he mostly edits like celebrity memoir like, you know, like he edits, he edited Mariah Carey's memoir. He edits all the books about the real housewives. Um, <laughs> like I was a weird choice, like in a lot of respects. So like, I don't think anyone expected anything of me, but in terms of like incredible surprises, I was absolutely delighted to find my book at the airport at the oh. tattered cover in Denver. I was like, I could not get over it. It was the most exciting. I, I thought like, that's not, like, that's not an experience. A lot of first time authors get is no, no. Like a, I just, I thought 
I thought I have no idea like who misguidedly bought this book <laughs> or whatever, like ordered this book and put it on the shelf. Like they thought maybe so it would cool. be something else. But um, oh my gosh, that was like I was so thrilled. Well, I was so thrilled. I I could not contain my excitement. That was like <laughs> once in a lifetime. If if that never happens again, that's fine. You know, like I'm yeah, <laughs> I'm satisfied with my um, reach. <laughs> I would love to kind of conclude this talk with, I just want to know some, I would say books you're enjoying, but I would love to know because you, you tweet about, you know, the, you know, some of the shows you're watching, some of the things you're doing. I know you've gotten recently into, you made a, um, was it anxiety pottery that like has, Oh yeah. I just, so, like love to hear of things you're enjoying recently. Cause yeah. So yeah. Cool. I make, I'm a potter. I'm a ceramist and I make None of these have turned out the way there's <laughs> some of these are not mine. Most of these actually are not mine. Most of my work, you know, this is not going to be useful on a podcast situation because I'll be like, here. Yeah. Um, but mostly I make like uh I've made work for like pots for over 25 years, which is weird because I made them as a child. So I guess that that maths just sort of. But I really, really like making work with the anxiety pots. I like etch it's like repetitive mark making. Mm. And I just like, I will, um, it's called scruffito is the technique, but you like put a, a, like a glaze or a slip or something on the pot and then etch through it. And it's like, mm. it's very gratifying. And then it creates this sort of texture that you can like touch. Mm. Um, I'll send you one if you like. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's a manifestation of my anxiety. I'll like, I have a, I have a, a website called emilymakesherfeelings.com and it's just like, <laughs> I'm going to include that in the show notes. I want pots, people to check this out. Weird pots that I yeah. make and my feelings about them. Yeah. You know, I have different parts of my process. Like sometimes I'm making pots. Sometimes I'm rewatching all of the Americans start to finish because oh, I feel hey, like great I'm show. obsessed. Yeah, I, good show. Still, still for many years. <laughs> um, and then I've been reading, I just got this book. Um, it's called The Night Parade, a speculative memoir by Jamie Nakamura Lynn. Comes out in October. Yeah, October 2023. It's incredible. It's like all these like it's it's written in like different sections and fragments and then it's also illustrated by more book illustration sister which is like mind-blowing it's so cool i just started reading it and then to name the bigger lie by sarah vereen okay um, just great cover yeah i mean oh my god it's it's really i interviewed her for full disclosure she is uh she was my classmate at iowa (laughs) um when I, I was on a lot of drugs, like I barely remember. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like we were in workshop together, but like I was on Abilify. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't no, I mean, that's I'm, not, you weren't really there. I wasn't really there, but she's lovely. And she wrote this incredible book. Her first um, collection of essays is really cool too. It's called Mine. But she wrote this book in part out of a viral New York Times article that she wrote about her wife being falsely accused of a title nine violation basically like they made up like they made up that they were sexually harassed by her wife as a way to like mess with her wow there's a lawsuit anyway it's really interesting it's about the nature of truth you Mm -hmm. might be really interested in it in a lot of different have have her reach out that sounds right up my alley it's a really cool it's a really cool book and also like i just i read a lot of fiction and so 
Kelly Link's new book, White Cat, Black Dog. Like I love, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to- I do have to ask, and I, you know, I try to be protective about people's work in progress because I feel like people have a lot of- Oh uh, yeah, I'll talk about it. Whatever, but is it, uh, I guess just however much you want to say, but I'm just curious, is it fiction or nonfiction, this next book you're working on? Yeah, so there's a new book that's coming out in 2025 called Burn This House Down in 2018. My brother burned my parents' house to the ground, was booked for felony arson, and then later was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, which is what we call people who are psychopaths or sociopaths. Mm -hmm. Um, It runs in my family. I explore this. (laughs) Interesting. uh, There are different things. It's about white supremacy. It's about the criminal justice system. So it's about mental illness and mental health. It's about familial misogyny and like the role that misogyny plays over generations. As soon as there is a copy available, I want I want to read this one because I I have been fascinated. You've been you've shared broadly some of these anecdotes or something uh, across your Twitter, and I've just mm-hmm. like every time I see it, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, yeah, this, no, it's like, it's a really wild story. Um, in the same way that I, I imagine you would have been tweeting about your healthcare interactions. Like yeah. just a thought here, if you're like, and I'm like, man, I, 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 I want to read the book. So, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's uh, 2025 from Holt. And then I'm writing um, a novel on the side when I'm bored with, or upset with the book that I'm working on. And that does not have a home, but um, it's really dark. I think the best way to describe it is like body horror. Oh, Okay. Not the turn I was expecting, but that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just, I feel like, I don't know, in in MFA school, I wrote a lot of short stories that like all involve like accidental dismemberment or like accidental cannibalism. Yeah, as one, as one does when they have homework. At the time. (laughs) Right, right. Like, and like horrible, but this is not that. This is, this is a, (laughs) this is maybe like a novella size or maybe novel size. We'll see what happens, but when I'm upset with uh, the burn this house down book, I, I work on this other one. Well, so I'm excited that's, that's to pick up both at. of those. In the meantime, everyone should go out and pick up cost of living by Emily Maloney. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed our talk and uh, where can people find you online? I mean, I'm like tethered to Twitter 24 seven. So probably there is, is best, but also I have a website. I don't know. You know, I never update it, but you can find me there too. <laughs> I'll include both those in the show notes. Thank you, Emily, so much for coming on. This podcast is edited by Tone Support. If you want to find out more information, check out tone.support. And if you want to support me, you can do that at patreon.com slash schizoreads. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next week. 